I think life is all about learning and continually learning. We don't stop learning at age 35 or 38 or 45. And so this, the new Savan is in some way like an act of faith and an act of entrepreneurship. This is Mitzi and Mike, and this is the Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, creators, brand builders, and anyone else who wants to make waves online. We sit down with the experts and tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands. And today on the show, we have Erica Anderson and Ingrid Nilsson of The New Savant. Yes, Erica Anderson is a co-founder and chief business officer at The New Savant, but she has an amazing experience before that. She spent a decade inside Twitter and Google where she focused on shaping the future of news. She's been named Fortune's 40, Under 40 in media and entertainment, among other honors, and now she's working at The New Savant with her partner, Ingrid. And Ingrid, she's a lifelong creative, one-time college dropout like me. Um, and now she is the co-founder and chief maker at The New Savant. So she has quite the resume as well. 10 plus years in the YouTube space as a creator. Really, I think one of the original gangsters of the beauty YouTube community. Mm-hmm. And she built a following of over 6 million people, which is pretty incredible. And something we get into on the show as well is yeah. she actually got to interview President Obama. Yeah. And she asked, asked him about the period tax, which is really interesting. Yeah. Don't spoil too much. No, though. I won't. But if you should... You should watch that video. We'll make sure we link it in the show notes. Yeah. So we talked with them about quite a bit. We got through a lot. Mm -hmm. It was cool having two people on as well, two co-founders, because usually we have a singular guest. But we talked a little bit more about their their past and how they came together, um, where they met and what their path was to becoming partners, both romantically and professionally. And then, like we mentioned, Ingrid's fateful interview with the president. Mm -hmm. But also we got into things like uh, transitioning out of the their comfort zone and for them, it was the worlds of tech and social media mm-hmm. and uh, into more of a tactile product and why they chose candles and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's really interesting what they're doing with their candle business because it's such a hard space to sell, especially as a D2C brand. So we talked into like what they're doing in terms of social selling and things yeah. like that. So this is a great episode if you run a D2C brand or if you're on the marketing team for a D2C brand. It's also a good one for creators because mm-hmm. I just found like I learned so much about the creator space and Ingrid, like you said, is one of the original like YouTube like creators out there. I think she was the first creator ever to get a long-term deal with the major brand, which was CoverGirl. So it's pretty amazing that she has such an extensive background. And now that she's pivoting into something else, it was really fun to talk to them about it. Yeah, Ingrid's got fans everywhere. Even as mm-hmm. we were doing the interview in the corner of our agency office, a few of the people on our team were just nerding out. So excited. I know. I'm glad I didn't realize, like, I didn't know the the breadth of her of her experience and how big of a deal she is because I would have been way more nervous than it was. I did want to say too, though, I think this episode is also good for people who have maybe been making decisions, whether it's like personal or career decisions, consciously or subconsciously based on other people's expectations of them. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting rabbit trail that we followed together of just this idea of res- resisting other people's expectations and being true to yourself and really um, honest with yourself about what it is you want, what it, what it is you want to do, and then just going and doing it, having mm-hmm. the faith, taking the risks, and then inevitably reaping the rewards. Yeah, I love this interview. So inspired. It's just, it's a good one. So yeah. sit back, enjoy. Uh, here's Ingrid and Erica.
All right, Erica and Ingrid, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yes, happy to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. We've been looking forward to this. Um, Mitzi and I actually met at a conference back in 2015, and and we heard that you have a similar story. So I, I figured we could just start at the beginning there. Um, talk to us about where your your paths collided, and and especially like, did you know right away if you'd want to work together? Yeah. Well, we met. We met at a conference too. Yeah. We. <laughs> Ingrid was visiting New York City from LA. I was living in New York, and we were at this conference called Lesbians Who Tech. It's a LGBTQ space for people in the tech industry and. Ingrid was waiting in line at the way back of the line <laughs> and I was walking through looking for a friend and we made eye contact and we both had this kind of like, oh my God, like I just stopped dead in my tracks and I didn't say anything. I just kind of scurried away. <laughs> yeah. She, I remember yeah. she was looking at her phone and then she looked up, we made eye contact. She looked back down. She looked back up again and had like a big <laughs> smile on her face and then scurried away. Yeah, classic. <laughs> so we later, finally, I got the courage or Ingrid approached me later at the conference. We got to know each other and we have been talking every single day since. We're in a romantic relationship. And then so that was in 2017. And mm -hmm. then in 2020, we started a business together. So yeah. I'd say it's going pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And I moved from LA where I'm from to New York, which I had already been planning to do. So it worked out perfectly that I met someone who's already living in New York. Um, I didn't have to convince her to move here or anything. Um, so it worked out with my uh, moving plans yeah. as well. All the stars aligned. Yeah. 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 That it's is meant to be. When things just fall into place like that. No kidding. And your story is way more romantic than our story. Like, Talk about a movie meet cute. Yeah, exactly. Love it. To yeah, the... with lots of awkwardness from Erica's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's so good. There's always got to be someone. That's yeah. what makes it. Yes. That's what makes it. Special. I will. I embrace it. I'm not as smooth as you may think. Very <laughs> awkward sometimes, but it's all the charm. So, adds and it. it worked out. It worked out. That's what. That's what yeah, matters. It did. Um. So prior prior to the meet cute and now to new savant, you were both booked and busy. You had a lot going on in your careers. Can you share, you can just take turns sharing a bit of your CV with our audience. Like, uh, and then on top of that, how do you feel your experience set you up for success with this new undertaking? Yeah. Well, I was a YouTuber for about 11 years. I started my channel in 2009 when it was not a thing um, at all. People weren't making YouTube videos to make money. The whole influencer industry didn't exist at all. And I really started making beauty videos as a hobby, as a way to express my creativity and a way to connect with other people. Um, because, you know, I was just coming out of high school. I was like two years out of high school. And I was in community college. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I didn't have the financial means um, in terms of options, very many options. And um, I was also dealing with a lot of grief and depression from my dad dying my junior year in high school. So there was a lot going on for me and 
I found YouTube and these young women from all over the world making beauty videos in their bedrooms, in their living rooms. And it felt like these people could be my friends. And I connected with the recommendations that they were sharing, but also I felt like I was connecting with them. And so I started making my own videos as really as part of feeling like I was part of a community and wanting to give back to that community because I had received so much. And so, you know, I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to film a video. I definitely was not comfortable talking to people or a camera, but I filmed my first um, YouTube video and nobody watched it for weeks. I remember it took like two or three weeks for one person to see it and to leave a comment. And when they left that comment, it made everything real. And it was always just like a slow, consistent growth for me over time. And it turned into my full-time job. And I really got to be a part of this like enormous wave of growth and from the inside, seeing it go from not being an industry at all um, to being a massive industry. And I ended up retiring in 2020, um, in June 2020, after 11 years. I'm so proud of Ingrid's career. So I'll just give you a few highlights that she didn't mention. She was <laughs> she was definitely one of the first in the first class um, of YouTubers. She was the first digital creator on YouTube to do a long-term endorsement deal with a major brand, which was CoverGirl. Um, she did a huge deal with Bare Minerals, where she helped them in 2016 to create assorted more shades, more Expanded color shades. Expanded their shade range, which at the time was you know, yeah. very expansive in comparison to what other brands. Now. She came out on the wow. internet in 2016, 2015, 2015, wow. which was a watershed moment for the LGBTQ community. And she won the Trevor Award for saving young lives that year. So anyways, that's oh, Ingrid's wow. <laughs> amazing story. And then I was, um, I was also kind of on the cutting edge of the early days of the internet and media um, from a different side. I went to journalism school. And after that, I worked for uh, MTV News reporting. And then I ended up having this tremendous opportunity where I taught a big anchor in the US, Katie Couric, how to tweet in 2009. And then I got to go to Twitter. I was recruited to join Twitter in the early days. I was out in San Francisco for five years doing a mix of product, product marketing, uh, basically external relations. Um, and I came back to New York and I got a job at Google doing similar work. And then I met Ingrid and kind of the rest is history. But that's a little bit of my career. Yeah. Too. And when we met, I had actually worked with her team for the President Obama interview. I pretty much worked with everyone except Me. Erica because she was new to the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. we should mention. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, you guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I want to like interview. I was, but I'm, I know it's not no. my job. <laughs> oh, we're loving it. We're, I think we're it's, taking it's amazing. Notes. You guys are clearly seasoned pros, and I love that it's like new media. YouTube meets established media, and I love that like yes. both of your backgrounds are so complementary. Um, so it's super cool. I feel like we could talk about this for so long, but I'm really glad you mentioned the interview with Obama because I can't 
not talk about that. And Ingrid, I wonder if you wanted to like talk about what that experience was like and specifically about how you educated him on um, the period tax. Well, that still to this day is a pretty unbelievable moment. I feel like that's it's one of the few moments in my life where I just felt this profound sense of presence. Um, so, you know, getting even getting the opportunity to do the interview was a pretty grueling process. I was vetted by the Google and YouTube um, news teams. And this consisted of, I would say, about four hours in total of being interviewed, literally basically telling my life story and going into minute details about everything and anything. And I had to go through these multiple rounds of um, questions. And then I found out that I was selected. I was one of three to interview the president. And then it was months of preparation, um, writing questions, doing research, because, you know, I was touching on topics that I was not an expert in. And so I did a lot of reading to at least know some of the basics um, so I could formulate questions. And then I worked um, with one of Erica's co-workers, Arun, who was wonderful and helped me edit my questions. And, you know, I spent about two or three months working on these questions. And then um, we started going into rehearsals like weeks in advance in LA. They built sets um, so we could practice what it would be like because the interview was live and they had all of these different sets that they were rolling in and out. They had an actor come in um, to pretend to be President Obama so we could have someone to actually like practice with and talk to. And it was a whole coordinated event that took months of preparation and weeks of rehearsal in terms of how a live program is going to work. And so, um, you know, I went in having to talk about different subjects that I wasn't an expert on. But the one thing that I really came in with was if I'm going to do all of this research on all of these other topics like foreign policy and healthcare. Um, I want to talk about something that I do know about and that I really care about, and that is periods. Um, it was definitely a controversial topic. And I, I don't know if anyone had said the word period to a sitting president no. before. No. And, you know, now it's definitely much more common to talk about periods. But, you know, I was watching a, a commercial for pads recently and they have changed the liquid that they pour on the pads to being red. This was in the time when it was still very much blue. Yeah. Um, and uh, people just really didn't know about, um, you know, the the tampon, what's called the tampon tax, which is a luxury tax on period products that existed in the majority of states in the United States and also in other countries. And this was something that I learned from grassroots activists in the menstrual space because I had been 
you know, involved and I had learned from them. And it really was a moment of having the information in the right place at the right time. And I I really see myself as like the vessel for that information. I happened to have the opportunity to bring it to this place. And the president wasn't Um, given the questions in advance. So he had no idea what was coming his way. And I really had to fight for that question to be in the lineup because it was so controversial at the time. And um, so when I got to the interview, I just remember thinking, oh my God, how am I like this girl from Roland Heights, California, who didn't finish college, like standing here in the White House about to interview the president. And I remember sitting down with him and just, he has this uh, ease about him that just makes you feel comfortable. And it was like, it was just two people having a conversation. And I was actually the most comfortable when I got to the period question, because I was like, I know this world. This is what I know out of everything here. And when Um, You know, I asked him why the luxury tax on period products exists because I don't know anybody who has a period who thinks that it's a luxury. He was just not expecting it. Like (laughs) I could see just like for a moment, he was like, okay, there are several paths that I think I could go down here. Which like which route am I going to take? Um, And he said that he didn't know that it had existed. And it was a moment that made international news because as it turned out, a lot of people didn't know that that tax existed. So it was um, a really big moment. But, you know, going into it, I didn't think, oh, this is going to turn into something that's going to make the news. Um, I did it because it was something that I really cared about. And it felt like this this is what I should do next. And I remember after the interview, um, running to my friend Eileen, who was in the next room, and we just hugged each other and started crying because we had this sense of like something so much bigger than us was happening. And it did, because I think that began the repeal of the tampon tax in many states in the U.S. and globally, and it created a national conversation, which is... Yeah, and it also just brought more awareness to reproductive health and rights, because it I think we can see more clearly now that everything is so interconnected. And so, you know, I think people thought maybe before that moment that talking about um, periods and, um, you know, reproductive health, oh, it's just like a frivolous thing. That's something that, you know, is left to a certain group of people, people who have periods or mothers like teaching their children, whatever, um, a very like hush-hush topic, this brought to light that it actually affects everyone and it's, it's woven into the fabric of our culture, of our government, of our society, of the way that we 
view different human beings. Um, and it was one of the reasons why I was so passionate about it mm -hmm. because it was such a tangible touchstone for myself and for so many other people. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Mm -hmm. what I love so much about this story is that Ingrid you you said that you were so in, like deeply in that community already so when it came time for you to interview the president you knew that you wanted to discuss this and I know a lot of creators out there right now they feel the sense of responsibility to um, just really understand their community and have a like they have this platform and they ask themselves like what will they do with it and what's going to be their message and impact on the world and now you know youtube and social like they these people are not just you know creators making content entertaining people they're you know the spokespeople of our generation so i'm curious if you have any thoughts on like the responsibility of that and i know that you've retired from youtube but especially for people who are kind of like exploring these platforms and getting viral so fast and suddenly they have a huge audience, like any advice you could offer to people who might be listening, who are experiencing that and kind of feel that weight of responsibility? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my channel didn't ever go viral. I did have my coming out video go extremely viral. And so like, I have a taste of um, what it's like, at least for one piece of content, to go extremely viral. And it is extremely overwhelming. It feels like, um, you know, you're being watched and people are just kind of waiting to see what your next move is. And the best advice that I can give is to take your time when it comes to figuring out what it is that you want to align yourself with. And, you know, a lot of people may have seen my interview with President Obama, but what they didn't see is the years beforehand where I was talking about period products and showing them in my videos. And it was really a slow process because I myself had to learn. Um, and I think giving yourself the space and time to learn is the most mm -hmm. important thing versus the pressure to just have something out there to comment uh, on everything. Yeah. Right. I think that's important. I've heard Ingrid talk about this as we've watched in the U S with George Floyd and all of the racial injustice, everything that's happening in the U.S. is, you know, oftentimes the most important thing to do if you have an audience is to listen. It's not to get out there and respond right away and to fill a void. And I think I think that's an important attribute that people often overlook, thinking that, oh, my gosh. And of course, the algorithms, I worked in big tech, the algorithms want you to be commenting, and creating content all the time. And it actually requires a bit of rebellion 
uh, to take a pause, but off, often I think it is going to create deeper, better content. And frankly, and this is the thing we're doing with the new savant is building trust. This is the thing Ingrid did and I worked on when I was in tech is how do you build trust with your audience, whoever that is? You can't manufacture it. You can't skip ahead to have it. It's something that's earned over time. And so, you know, that pause, that listening, that learning is critical no matter what you're doing online. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that taking that time to learn is much more important than having something that you can immediately share with people for, you know, social good or social impact. Um, but really having something that you're connected to and that you can speak to will will not only create a sense of confidence when and if um, you do decide to make it public, but it will also just make you want to keep going because you yourself are invested in it as a person and not just doing it because you feel like other people expect it of you. Um, you know, even though I'm not making YouTube videos anymore, like, even on the on the train over here, like I'm still interested in all of the things that I talked about as a YouTuber. Um, I just learn and consume it privately now. And, you know, I try to make um, the impact that I can in like the work that I'm doing now, but it, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop because like, you know, I changed careers. It just looks different now. And so I, I do think it's important for people to also choose something that like, you know, if this career were to end tomorrow, like, is this something that you would want to bring forward with you into the next thing? So I think that's also something to consider. Yeah, totally. Well, that's powerful. <laughs> I think there's a whole list of, of things that are so interesting to me about the two of you. Um, and I feel like we could just sit on this for a while. But the, one of the most interesting things to me is that you both had such incredible careers already at this point where, when you collided. And for a lot of people, Ingrid, if they got that interview with the president, and that viral moment, you know, where it was international news and suddenly was looked at by a lot of people as like a spokesperson to like women's rights and, and things like that. For most people, I feel like that they would see that as like, okay, now the world is my oyster. Like, this is what I'm going to do forever. You know, like what topic am I going to hit next? You know, like what heavy hitting interview am I going to plan next? Um, but then for you, you chose to, I'm not sure how quickly after that, but you chose to retire and do something else. And, and then Erica, for you, you know, you, you obviously had such a inspiring career as well in tech and social media, and you were on Forbes 40 under, or Fortunes 40 under 40 in media and entertainment. Um, so for both of you to just kind of like meet each other and then pivot and just start to create candles you know, like mm. that doesn't seem like a predictable next chapter, um, not to diminish it in any way. I feel like the new Savant is so incredible and I'm excited to talk about it. But but why? Like why candles and why then? And and why did you not have that perspective that so many would have in your in your career moments that you're having? 
Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I, you know, I think we, we probably have a somewhat similar answer, but at the kind of macro level for me, I experienced such tremendous success um, financially from a, you know, external validation point of view, being named to these lists, having access uh, to cutting edge ideas and people and technology. But at the end of the day, when I got home, I wasn't actually that happy. And I think that's something that I had to really reckon with. Do I want to climb this corporate ladder for the next 30 years or do I need to do what is in my heart, which is I am an entrepreneur. And that is actually what led me into Katie Kirk's office and Twitter is I had was bringing new ideas and I was disrupting something. And I think the hardest thing about a career, navigating a career is doing what's right for you. So do I want to build something that's disruptive and touches people and makes people think? Absolutely. And that's what we're doing right now. Does it look entirely different maybe than what I was doing before? For sure. But the through line is entrepreneurship. There's so much area for disruption in scent and in fragrance. And that's something that Ingrid has taught me and that we've gone deep intellectually into the space and the history of scent and that we're so well positioned to create something entirely new. But I think it just goes back to like, can have international news cycles and still be like, is it my ego that's telling me that I need to keep doing this or is it my heart? And for me, my heart was like, I wasn't really into the kind of work I was doing anymore. And so I had to step away. Yeah. I mean, I have always been a creative and an artist and I'm going to quote Mary from Downton Abbey right now, but one of my favorite quotes from her is she says, I should hate to be predictable. And I really relate to that because when I look at my path in life, there have been so many things that, you know, I couldn't have predicted, other people couldn't have predicted, but those have often been some of the best things that have happened to me. And I think that they haven't been predictable because there are moments that you can really only make decisions on in the present moment. And, you know, I made the decision to start making YouTube videos because I wanted to express my creativity and contribute to a larger community. And that's what I got to do for over a decade. And what I've learned with the creative process is that sometimes there is just a natural end to something and that is okay. You know, just because I had this incredible career for over a decade doesn't mean that I have to keep doing that for the rest of my life if I'm not getting the same amount of fulfillment out of it because obviously that the world entirely changed from when I started to when I retired. And 
I made the best decision for myself. And ultimately it came down to, you know, have I given what I wanted to give um, with my work? And the answer was yes, and then some. And so that's how I knew that it was, it was time to do something else because I felt like I had given what I wanted to give and then some. I totally agree with that for me too. And and the thing, last thing I'll say on this topic is like, do making a career transition like this ultimately requires a lot of faith. It requires so much faith in your ability, your talents, and that you are not X company. And so I really believed I was Google, I was Twitter, I could not be successful without them. And Ingrid, who has a higher propensity, a higher ability for risk, encourage me. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Ingrid's idea and her ability to take risks because um, I'm the more conservative one on that end. Mm -hmm. But what I've learned is making this kind of transition requires true faith in yourself, the ability to be adaptable, to learn. And I think life is all about learning and continually learning. We don't stop learning at age 35 or 38 or 45. And so this, the new savant is in some way like an act of faith. Um, and an act of entrepreneurship. Yeah, and I think yeah. a practice in just staying open to the different possibilities because it's great to, you know, plan for things and strive for goals, but then there's also the element of surprise in life. And I think it's, for me, that has been one of my biggest lessons is just really embracing that because it can often come at times where, you know, I retired in the middle of a pandemic where I had no idea what I was going to do next. And the one thing that I had was the savings that I had saved up over the years to get me through that summer where I could, you know, take my first vacation in over a decade and truly have a break and not work for two months and not have to worry about where my income was going to come from. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like an ideal situation to quit in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and also I, it was, it, it was the right time for me. And, mm. um, you know, my, last career had prepared me for it as much as possible. And so I really, I really leaned into that instead of trying to um, force it and push through and keep doing what I had been doing um, for the last decade. Amazing. I'm so glad, like the way that you both articulated that is so powerful, I think. And I want to just sit on it a little bit longer because I really feel like the people listening to this need to hear this. And um, it reminds me of a quote I, or a, a line of copy that I saw on your website that I thought was really interesting, which was a rebellion. The new savant is a rebellion against who we are told to be and who we choose to become. And I feel like that's, that's really the, the summary of what you both just said, which is like Mary from Downton Abbey, like not being predictable, which also reminds me of the TikTok trend, like never let them know your next move. Um, which I think is, it just speaks to people like that, that sensibility, um, because I feel like there is this underlying um, belief for some reason right now, especially with people in our generation that you kind of hit this 
point of no return. Like you're, you're too committed at, at a certain point and there's expectations, whether it's from the people you care about or the people that follow you or whatever. And for you to rebel against that and to decide like, no, this isn't what I want. This isn't what makes me happy is really powerful. And so thank you for setting that example. What I'm curious about is like, it's one thing to know what isn't for you or like when, when that journey is coming to an end and make that decision. And, and Erica, like you said, to have the faith to stop. But then like, I'm curious about how you landed on what to start. You know, it's like I know there's an interest in fragrance. There's an opportunity for disruption, which you both are, are passionate about. But what really was the, the moment when you were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to make candles and this is going to be the conduit through which we develop relationships and trust and, and the future mm-hmm. of our careers? Yeah, I mean, it was really the summer of 2020 after I posted my last video. And when I said that I had no idea what was next, that was true. I had no other job lined up. I had no idea if I was going to go into like the corporate world or what was going to happen. But I was really just, you know, I was trying to stay open to the possibilities and I gave myself the summer off and it was my first break, like true break where I didn't have to post content or make anything or have anything scheduled in a decade. And we went on a road trip to Indiana where Erica is from and we um, packed up Tato, the dog, and took um, him to Indiana where we, for the first time um, in the pandemic, had space to breathe because we were in New York City the entire time. And it's like the minute you stepped out of the apartment, you had to be wearing a mask and there were always people around. And it was just, you know, so novel to us at that point to be able to walk outside of her dad's house into the backyard where nobody's around and to just have space and to not have to, you know, wear a mask and to watch Tato run around. I think, I think the creative process, what happened was Ingrid was hanging out at my dad's house and looked down at the coffee table one day. And it, I just have to say like something I've learned from Ingrid is about creating space for the creative process. Being bored is an essential part of being creative because it gives you the chance to identify new interests or to play around with things. So she saw a candle sitting on my dad's coffee table and had the thought, wow, actually, I wonder if I could make a candle. And she went down the street to a craft store and picked up some materials and came back and made her first three or four candles at my dad's place using really basic materials. And it was on the drive home a few weeks later, we kept extending our trip. You know, my dad was like, you can stay as long as you want. And we're like, nope, only going to stay a week. And then we a month later, like a, a month. <laughs> um, we were on our way back to New York City. And I could just tell that Ingrid <laughs> had an idea that was going to be extraordinary. And I said, you know, I would love to help you set up the business. And she agreed. And so for the next, just to kind of condense this, for the next three or four months, you know, August, September, October, Ingrid was um, 
purchasing materials and doing R&D, developing the perfect candle, the perfect burn, the perfect wax, the perfect scent throw, doing it all herself, which is oftentimes in the fragrance business, in the candle industry, which is a $4 billion industry in the U.S. annually, a lot of this stuff gets outsourced. You know, you obviously have the maker community making stuff at home, and then you have the big candles that are being made in warehouses in New Jersey, which is fine, but we are really somewhere in the middle, kind of looking at PF Candle Co. As, as a model that we admire, we want to make the products ourselves. We want to make something that we trust, that we want to burn, we want to live with. And so Ingrid really, she created the first collection and we dropped it on December 3rd, 2020, and it sold out in seven minutes. And so that was the beginning and us knowing like, wow, we have something here. And then when people got the candles and loved them and asked for more, we knew we really had something. Yeah. And like... I think it really just all goes back to having that space where I had the summer off. Like that's where the idea came from because I had the space to um, breathe and relax and to look at a candle and have the thought of, oh, I wonder how you, how you make a candle or I bet I could figure that out. And like – for me, that was such a privilege because I had never really had that growing up. Like I've always been creative, but um, I didn't come from a wealthy family. Um, and this was the first time in my life where I was taking a break and I didn't have to worry about money because I had made a lot of money in my last career and I was able to live off of that and give myself this break and move into my next thing and fund the new savant. Like the new savant is funded by me. Um, and, uh, you know, all of those things um, have been part of this process. And that's why I'm able to see, I think more clearly every day, how my last career has informed this this current one um, and how they're so interconnected. And I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now without that past experience and that past career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love hearing launch stories um, as like a nerdy marketer. I just think it's so interesting to hear like how the origin of a product happened and then you took it to market and what was the response. And I'm sure lots of people who are listening and maybe they're entrepreneurs themselves they can remember their, you know, origin story with their own business. I'm curious where, when you guys launched and you sold out in seven minutes, where did those sales come from? Like, how did you prepare, you know, your community and future customers to be ready for a product that is a candle, but it's, you know, it's a tangible thing, but it's really hard to sell candles online. Like it's a, it's a scent. Selling scent is incredibly difficult. So I'm curious if you could just dive into that a bit more and, and share with us like how those sales came through. We So we set up, Ingrid set up a new Savant Instagram account, and that was our sole channel for driving sales. We It was all organic. So Ingrid basically used her account to let people know one day that she was onto her new chapter and it drove a handful of people to the new Instagram channel. More and, than a handful. Okay, it drew, probably a few thousand. <laughs> um, a few thousand. And we, um, you know, 
a big part, I mean, Mitzi, it's a good point about selling scent online. A huge part of what we do is storytelling. And we also believe that in the olfactory business, in the fragrance business, it's really been an elite endeavor for a long time. And oftentimes we don't even have language for how to talk about scent or scent preferences other than, ew, I don't like that. Or, oh my God, I love that. And so we're really invested in teaching our community about how to um, scent education, how to learn about your nose, um, how to give language to different scents that you um, can identify in a candle. You know, we do a lot of Instagram lives where we talk about scents. Um, we do sniff and tells where we share, you know, our new scents and Ingrid talks through the notes that are in there. And so really like it was purely an Instagram push at the start. And then as we rolled into 2021 and we got studio space and increased our production. We set up email marketing. We're using Klaviyo and doing, you know, campaigns and flows and like kind of getting the table stake stuff set up so that we can be engaging our community uh, in a regular, in a regular way. But really it's, um, it's primarily been Instagram. Right yeah. Now. We had the privilege of not having to start from a true zero because you know, I had the community that I had earned over the last decade. And when I, I all, but at the same time, like I also um, wasn't constantly pushing it on my personal account because I just, I don't post that much just in general. Um, and so, you know, I let, I figured I would let people know and whoever was interested would come over. And so we had that really incredible base to start off with. But I think, you know, anybody who is running a business, especially an e-com business, it's like, okay, and then you have to have people come back and you want to bring more people in and keep them interested. And so we had the privilege of that initial base and then our challenge from there has been how do we keep those people interested how do we grow the consumer base and the community um and how do we uh you know put something different out into the world of candles and fragrance which is a very busy market you know, how are we different and how do we communicate that to other people? I think I got this advice because at one point I was really struggling with the email marketing because I had never done it before. So I had to learn how to do it and figure out what boxes I needed to check, what flows I needed to do. And I talked to this guy who ran an email marketing firm. I was actually asking him like, hey, should we work together? You know, I'm willing to put aside some budget for you guys to run this for us. And he said something to me that I thought was so amazing. He was like, don't hire us. You are doing something original. At the time, we were shutting down the website, like closing our online store, quote unquote, until the next drop. And then people would come back when the drop occurred. We would do the drops live on Instagram. It's a social commerce we were tapping into unintentionally. And it was working. And it's, it's still working. But he said to me, you know, you hire a company like me and we're going to do all the basic stuff for you. We're going to obviously run hundreds of campaigns for you a year, mobile, et cetera. But what you need to do right now is learn how to do it yourself and really double down on those original ideas. Come create the next set of best practices. Don't just ask us what they are. And I was so right because 
Clavio is amazing. I can read a dozen Help Center articles about how to do this or that. I can watch YouTubers and e-com and learn about what works. But it's really like even draw, drawing out of Ingrid, you know, these really creative ideas about how to sell and how to create shopping experiences and how to talk about scent. That is the magic of what we have to keep diving into to, to get our continue to make our community excited and engaged and, and want to come back for more. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is also communicating with our customer, not just when we have something to sell. Um, and it really, you know, that's something that I just kind of learned as time went on with my career on YouTube, because I was always, you know, connecting with people. And especially in those early days, like nobody was selling anything. Um, and so what keeps people coming back? You can't always quantify that. But for me as the creative and one of the founders behind this, I can feel what we should be doing to connect with people because this is something that I mm -hmm. deeply care about that I'm really invested in. I am super excited about the world of fragrance. And so, you know, what are things that I know that um, our community would be interested in? And also how can we learn from each other? Cause I feel like we learn so much from our customers all the time. So it's like this mm -hmm. relationship that goes both ways. And I think that has really served us. Yeah. I want to tap into the live shopping for a little bit because Erica, you mentioned it is still like an emerging, um, I don't know if it's a trend, but it's like a strategy that I don't think a lot of people have tapped into. And we're seeing platforms like Pinterest and things like that double down on ability or giving people the ability to do live shopping experiences. How like maybe can you walk us through like what you've done, what you've learned in that process, how your community has responded to that, um, and like why? Where did that even that idea come from? Yeah, well, we started it because we actually couldn't produce enough inventory to keep it on the shelves. So we actually like fell into live shopping, which is we were producing as much as we could, and then we would do a drop. And we started doing these through Instagram lives. And I just want to make a side note, you know, we're not actually using Instagram's integrated technology for shopping. We've looked into it. We've thought about it. They take a heavy percentage of sales, which as a small business, we're just not that excited about yet. So we're doing it totally organic and that feels better for us. But basically we, you know, would sit here in the studio with some candles and we would start a live and at let's say seven o'clock, we'd be like, all right. You know, we'd play a song. We did this during our California Christmas drop where we played um, the kind of famous John Williams theme song from Home Alone, that kind of like rushing through the airport moment. And that signified that the drop was live and people were like, you know, rushing to the website or like they had their mobile phone or their, their desktop pulled up and they were shopping. And we were just seeing, you know, through the live analytics here in Shopify sales just skyrocketing. And it was honestly number one fun. People enjoyed it. It wasn't forced. And so we've leveraged that for special moments. We're gonna try it, we're gonna do it again next week. Um, but one of the things I've learned and like looking at the tech Mitzi is like there are a lot of apps that are popping up that are trying to do this. We've 
you know, continue to do it inside of Instagram because that's where our follower graph is. Um, and also I'll just say like, you know, the Chinese market and the apps and social experiences in China far surpass the technology that we've built in the U.S. There's such incredible live shopping experiences in China just for your groceries. And if you do something called group buying, if you, oh, we got a buzz. There's, you know, an app in China that allows you to uh, go to the, basically virtually go to the market together. And if you and your community all buy apples from the same vendor, it reduces the price. So there's just a ton of things that are happening. And I guess the last thing I'll say, and I'm kind of going around, is like something that I've learned in my career is like what's new is old. So this is really just QVC. <laughs> this is really just online shopping. It is not no tech person invented this. You know, there's no whiz kid in Silicon Valley that came up with this. This is just as old as time, which is people getting on TV or another medium and selling something. And we're having a lot of fun with it. We're not basing everything off of it, but it works and it delights our community and it's fun. So that's why yeah, we're doing it. And it really works for fragrance because it allows us to answer questions directly from people. And people usually have a ton of questions regarding a fragrance that they've never smelled before. And so I'm able to talk about the inspiration and you know, share stories behind it. And it just, it paints the picture of the world of the fragrance much more clearly for people who are thinking about buying it. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of, I'd love to talk about just the process of creating a fragrance. And for you, I guess I'm curious who's all involved, what what is involved? And then would you say it's more of a creative process or more of a scientific one? It's both. Um, so I am the scent designer and that is different from being a perfumer. So my job is to think of the creative and essentially the world of the fragrance. So fragrance for me is all about building a world inside of my imagination that is tangible. You know, I know the colors, I know the textures, I ha have an idea of what the smell is going to be. And it it's really, I compare it a lot to um, songwriting because songwriting involves world building and you're telling a story and that's what I'm doing with fragrance. I'm just doing it through a different medium. And so, you know, my inspiration comes from different places. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's something that I'm that I've eaten. Sometimes it's childhood memories. I can get inspiration anywhere, and then I take that inspiration and I put it into what's called an olfactory brief, which for me is you know basically a presentation that I give to our perfumers at our fragrance house. Um, and I have to be able to basically build out that world as clearly as possible minus scent. So I'll include the colors and textures and anything and everything, music um, that is inspiring to me. So basically like a giant mood board. And then I include specific notes that I want in the fragrance, um, which I will list out. 
I'm really detailed in the notes that I send um, to the perfumers and, you know, how I want it to feel and what I want to really bring out. Like, is there a note that I really want to be more prominent, one that is set in the background more? And so that gets sent over to the perfumer and the perfumer is basically like in the music world, they would be like the music producer. So they're the ones that put the actual molecules together to create the oil, the fragrance oil that I then take and put into our candles. So there is art and science involved at every angle. And, you know, for them putting the molecules together, that is very scientific, um, something that I do not have the skills to do. And then on my end, um, candle making is a lot of science and a lot of math. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it really is a collaboration between myself, the scent designer, and um, the perfumer. Yeah. And, and fragrance being a core part of our business, we did uh, broker a partnership with one of the established fragrance houses last year. It's like, this is, this is going to be important. Having a company that can provide us with um, safe oils that can legally be used in other markets because in the fragrance business, you know, the EU has more stringent regulations on fragrance in other countries. So it's not to say it's not safe in the US or Canada, but they're so just different. So yeah, so working so working with a partner like that has been really important to us. And uh, as Ingrid said, it's both an art and a science. Yeah. And it allows me to create fragrances from scratch. So to create things that haven't been smelled before in the form of candles. And I love working with the medium of candles because I feel like in the world of fragrance, it is one of the most approachable mediums in comparison to, you know, something that you would wear on your body. Like that is a commitment to wear something on your body and have to live with it all day long, especially if the fragrance is not for you. And so with candles, yes, it's in your personal space, but if it ends up being something that isn't for you or your space or that particular mood that you're in, you can change it pretty easily. So the commitment level is just different. And I think it's a really great way for people to start exploring fragrance, to start expanding their language around fragrance and their preferences around fragrance. You can really take risks, I think, with um, the medium of candles and try out notes that you may not want to try out in a fragrance that you wear. I love it. How many bad ideas do you have to go through before you have a good idea? Oh my God. I would say the majority of my ideas are bad. <laughs> <laughs> the vast majority are bad, 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 bad. Um, and, you know, there have been times where I had an idea and then when it actually comes to life in the form of a fragrance, I'm like, mm. No, the fragrance house sends it over and I'm just like, this was not a good idea. Let's just scratch that. We'll move on with something else. But it's just part of the process and it makes the moments of delight 
that much more delightful. And so when you think about moments of delight, what has been your biggest hit so far out of the sense? California Christmas, for sure. That was a drop that we did in November. We actually did a very a lar- our largest quantity of candles thus far last year and sold out before December. California Christmas was based off of Ingrid's uh, childhoods, childhood Christmases in Palm Springs. So it had a fragrance profile of desert air, um, sea salt, uh, oranges, Grand Marnier. It was really different and I think an original holiday scent. You know, you think of a holiday scent and you think of, I don't know, evergreen and pine and and, and actually, that's yeah. really what's becoming, exactly. And that's really what's becoming um, kind of our core focus is creating scents that haven't been done before. And, you know, scent largely has been a very European white endeavor. And if you think about all of our scent preferences are learned. So even me, I grew up uh, as a white American in Indiana. I did not have a lot of exposure to cuisines outside of chicken pot pie and, um, you know, very basic scent profiles. And Ingrid, who has a Thai mother and grandmother at home, was exposed to all sorts of scents. And, you know, what we're finding is that there's a real appetite for, for scents as demographics change and grow. It's like people don't want the same no shade on Yankee Candle because I definitely love them. I love Bath and Body Works. Yeah, we love it. Like they have their place (laughs) and um, they're a great, they're an amazing entry point for people looking to explore candles. But like steam, mixed feelings is another one of our hits. And that the prominent note there is steamed rice. And that's meant to smell like uh, Ingrid's heritage of Thai and Norwegian uh, scents. And so we have huge fan base around that because when else have you smelled a candle that smells like steamed rice and the type of rice was important too the perfumer came back with a basmati rice and not the jasmine rice that is more uh true to the thai household and so you know it's just been so fun um creating these and and finding that there is this audience that wants something different yeah and i think you know outside of california christmas which is a limited edition fragrance that we only have around the holidays, what we've seen with our core collection, the best sellers, the fragrances that are really rising to the top as time goes on are the ones that are the most unusual, like Heat Wave, which is centered around the note of dill, which is quite polarizing for a lot of people. But that has become one one of our best sellers. And then Mixed Feelings with the steamed rice has also become a bestseller. And then we have the usual, which is my take on a gourmand scent. So there's notes of black coffee and cocoa and pistachio. And I wanted something that was rich and a little bit sweet and woody, but not you know, so sweet that you're going into like vanilla caramel sugar land. I wanted Mm -hmm. it to be something really balanced and a gourmand that people hadn't really smelled before. And I think we really nailed it with that fragrance because I think out of our core collection, that one might be the, the, the top seller. The thing I'll say to like tie it back to marketing and and what you both do and your audience thinks about is 
it's about creating a product that doesn't exist. It's about finding an opportunity and a white space and going there. And so that's, again, like that's what we're trying to do. You can do it with anything. You can do it with candles. You can do it with coffee. You can do it with any kind of product. But it's about figuring out where the white space is and going there. And that's what we're finding is working. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are you going to say something? I was just going to say, I mean, that sounds awesome. I need the gourmet one. I need the heat waves one. Seriously. (laughs) Um, But we also want to ask you, you're both, you know, business partners and romantic partners, as are we. And, you know, we get this question a lot. And I'm curious, like, what you guys would say, how do you balance, you know, your romantic and your professional relationship? And if you have any tips on, on how to navigate that? Well, I think we haven't done it perfectly. You know, there have definitely been nights where I'm like, we're at home and I'm like, hey, Ingrid, will you do this work thing or you want to do this? And she's like, no, give me a break. So finding, you know, finding boundaries, figuring out what works for us. Um, We don't often walk to work together. We don't often commute together. That's been important. Like we have very different temperaments in the morning. I'm like raring to go and Ingrid wants a slower more thoughtful start where I just, I just want to jump into work. So we've had to like notice what doesn't work and then adjust. And then I also think on the romantic side, like we've had to become really intentional about setting up dates. I think that's true in any relation, any long-term relationship is making sure that there's time for both of you to explore, you know, connect, do something new. And so that's something that we're really working on and and doing successfully. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we have, we have gotten better at having time that we have specifically dedicated to talking about work. And then when, you know, we're going on dates or having like friend time together, we, we don't really talk about work. Um, and I think that has really helped us just like being clear and in a constant communication with each other. Like sometimes Erica will want to talk about work when we're eating dinner and I'll say, I don't really want to talk about work right now. So like we'll adjust and save it for later or sometimes, you know, it's the reverse. So it's just constantly just being in communication about what about what about you two what advice do you have for us <laughs> pretty similar like i think um setting up boundaries of like this is when we want to talk about stuff and this is when we're not and just also like reading each other like especially if it's like a stressful week or something like that trying to give each other space to like you know at home we can just like decompress and just be potatoes if we need to so that there's some like distance from it and it's not chasing us down all the time. But I don't yeah. know what you add. Erica, I think you touched on something that really resonated with me, which is not feeling the pressure to to operate on the same rhythm necessarily. You know, like I'm I'm more similar to you where I'm like ready to go in the morning. I, I want to be up early. I want to like get ahead of it. And for Mitzi, like she comes alive at night, you know, but but after dinner, I cannot function on a work level, like I just need to, like Ingrid, when you talked about being on vacation and being bored and that being part of like where you get inspired, like I just have to be bored after supper. I, my brain can't go there. So giving each other the space to be different than each other and not feeling like one of you is slacking and while the other one is carrying the team or, or, or whatever, but seeing it as just like two separate humans coming together 
to make something interesting, but not necessarily doing it the same way. Yeah. And I'm sure you both also have figured this out too, but kind of like, what's our lane? Like, this is what I do. And this is what my business needs from me. And then this is what he does and what his, like our business needs from him and letting each other kind of like own that. It sounds like you guys have both kind of carved out your roles in in the business too. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more clear, but it was, it was rocky to start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, all you got is time. You all go. you got is time to yeah, figure yeah. it out. Um, I feel like we're learning the t- all the time. Yeah. And, and you don't want to stop. Like, even if you feel like you hit yeah. a sweet spot, like you want to, you want to continue learning and, and evolving together. Mm-hmm. On the topic of advice, though, uh, a question that we ask every guest that we have on the show is, what's one piece of advice that you've heard or received in the past that you'd want to pass on to our audience? I guess for me, I had a mentor early in my career who at the time I was in journalism and she said to me, journalism, working in the field is an education every day. It's what kept her doing that work for over 60 years. I think I've taken that with me where what's important to me about work is that I'm getting an education every day. So the advice is really to continue always be learning. It keeps us fresh. It keeps us interested. Even if you hit a roadblock, you're frustrated about something. I've been so frustrated about learning about e-com, international taxes, and all this stuff. Keep learning. Keep learning. Keep asking questions. And to me, that's made everything really enjoyable. I actually heard this from you. I think it I think it was someone's grandmother who said this, but um, it is never run for a train because there will always be another one. And I have not- The only, New York City subway. Yeah. That was a, yeah, an old I New have Yorker advice. not only practiced this literally uh, quite often recently, but I think it also expands into a general life lesson where I think, you know, it is really easy to um, get caught up in this, I have to do it right now, this this urgency behind everything. Um, and I think that can often lead to making rushed decisions, um, doing things that maybe aren't actually right for you. And I think for me, what that saying means is to take a breath and realize that you know, to, to find my center and to realize, to realize that even if I miss one thing going by, there's going to be something else. Um, and you know, I have experienced that in my life and I have all, I have also experienced it with the New York city subway. I will say, do not get on a train. Don't run after a train that is fully crowded because there's probably going to be an empty one two minutes behind it. (laughs) And I have been doing that almost every single day and it works out. So (laughs) that's also a practical life tip for being in New York. (laughs) Yeah, that's the full package right there. Love it. Last question for you both. Who is making waves right now and why? Okay, well, this is so different, but um, we are obsessed with this new podcaster, uh, his name is Charlie Barons. He, I worked with him at MTV News. We were both on the street team 08. He, he represented Wisconsin. And he moved back home to create this kind of media 
uh, company and he has a podcast called the Cripe cast. And he is, he interviews such interesting people, um, but he's in the Midwest. So he's talking about politics, but he's, you know, able to approach the environmental conversation through the lens of uh, outdoors, outdoor activities, hunting and fishing. So we've just been loving his content and having a lot of fun. Oh man, this is so hard to choose because I feel like I'm inspired by so many different creators and different products and different brands. It's so hard to narrow it down to just one person or thing. So I'm going to say just generally, I have really been enjoying um, beauty content on YouTube. It kind of feels like going back to my roots, but as, you know, as an observer, as like a consumer of the content. And I just appreciate what creators are doing. Also on TikTok as well, I think that but I think the thing that makes YouTube really special is the detail that people are able to go into. And, you know, the videos may not get like the millions of views that videos on TikTok are getting, but as someone who really appreciates um, detail and attention to detail, I am really excited mm. about what has been coming out of the YouTube beauty space because people really are going into detail about products and they're digging into, you know, not just like specific products, but they're tying it together um, as like looking at brands as a whole and then the beauty industry as a whole, which just wasn't really a part of, you know, when I was making YouTube videos. So I love the the detail and the social and cultural connections that people are making through beauty. And I think that is just so exciting to watch and, and just be like a fan now. That's awesome. If you have to pick one, like the first beauty YouTuber that comes to mind when you talk about this, who would it be? Kaki reviews beauty. Um, she's amazing. She talks a lot about color theory and how, you know, different colors will work differently on depending on what your, you know, different undertones are. And she is an artist. She's trained in fine art. And so it's really, really interesting to hear her talk about makeup with that perspective as a painter and an artist um, as mm. a part of her experience. Love it. We'll make sure those both get in the in the show notes. And last but not least, a uh, very practical question. Where can listeners connect with you after this? Check us out on thenewsavant.com or our Instagram, The New Savant. Okay. Love it. Thank you both so much for sharing so much of your knowledge and wisdom and all the amazing things that you're doing at New Savant. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having Thank us on. Thank you.